Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? DraftKings Sportsbook has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code JOHN. New customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58. With code J-O-H-N. John, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and resort in Kansas, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out Podcast. How are we doing, my people? Here's the game plan today. I've spent some time thinking about the games over the last 24 hours. We will dive into those. Talk about the Ravens, the Niners, Chiefs, Dan Campbell. A lot of people watched that NFC Championship game. 57 million people. Greg Olson about to get Wally pipped by Tom Brady. And Sirianni hires a bunch of coaches. We, we will dive into all of that as well as the Middlecoff mailbag, at John Middlecoff. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. Fire into those DMs. Fire into those DMs. Get your question answered here on the show. And other than that, I think the game plan this week, we, we might do a golf podcast for Wednesday. My guy Jason Sobel's at Pebble Beach. I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. We'll record live from Pebble Beach. And other than that, going to be a lot of football. Super Bowl's in a couple weeks. The prices on this Super Bowl are outrageous. I thought about going, work my back channels and my sponsors. The average price right now 
two weeks away is over $10,000. A lot of money to go see some football. <laughs> 10K. We'll dive into that as well throughout the week, not today. Let's rock and roll. You guys know the drill. Subscribe to the podcast. We got a YouTube channel. All of our content's up there. And thevolume.com. We got merch, t-shirts, hats. Go check it out and do it now. Before we dive into football, can I tell you about my friends, my partners, and the official ticketing app of this podcast, Game Time? Do you want to get out of the house? Do you want to go do something fun? You want to take a son, a daughter, a friend, a wife, a, uh, a husband, a father, a mother, and go to an event? Maybe a concert? Maybe a comedy show? How about a game? College, pro, you name it, any sport. No matter where you live, just download the Game Time app, type in either the venue or the area you live in, and see what's happening around you. And if you want to go to a game, buy a pair of tickets, promo code John. Promo code J-O-H-N, J-O-H-N, save $20. Cannot recommend it enough. I think one thing we've consistently seen in sports and in life, when you go through hard times, you are much more equipped and you're successful and you have a you know a history or you've had to struggle to get where you're at, it's easier for you to handle more shit in the future, right? I think when you look at yesterday's game, you look at the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not saying their season was easy because they created that. They played a ton of good teams and they dominated them. I mean, they consistently beat the piss out of everyone they played, which in theory should be a good thing. But ideally, you kind of like some uh, bumpy roads along the way. You like people to go, what's going on here? I saw Andy Reid had a quote today. Never forget, on Christmas morning, depending on where you live, for me it was morning, they got worked by the Antonio Pierce Raiders. The Raiders didn't complete a pass like the last 40 minutes of the game. The 49ers, that night, their quarterback literally lost the MVP and threw four interceptions. Hell, last week, the 49ers, for 90% of the game, were going to lose to the Green Bay Packers. They were going to lose the Lions, right? They have, and a lot of these core guys, have been through devastating losses, like last year, when they did not have a quarterback. Everyone this year, beside, you know, probably internally in that locker room, thought, you know, this is the year Chiefs probably won and done. At most, a victory in the playoffs. Because rightfully so, you watched them play. They were losing games that they used to win. It didn't look right. The 49ers, who looked, I would say, indefensible early in the season, then they had a three-game losing streak. Then they looked indefensible again, and then they lost that awful game to the Ravens. And it just made you question, like, are these guys that good? What's going on here? And then the Packer games happen. You're like, what? What's happening here? And anyone listening to this, whether it's professionally or personally, when you go through shit, it helps you become better either professionally at whatever you're doing or personally, ideally, you become a better human. You think about things that probably didn't cross your mind before. I know for me, I had been fired twice, contract not renewed in the NFL, and then had my radio show canceled by the time I was 31 years old. I've lost a parent. Like, these are things that, in a healthy way, I mean, at the time, I don't care what quote you read, like, there's no adversity 
there, there's no failure. There's just learning. I mean, all that, it's like, okay, that's, that's easy to say after the fact because it is true. But when you're going through it, it's really hard. Anyone listening to this who's been fired, who's gone bankrupt, who's had rough things happen professionally or personally, know at the time, it really, really sucks. But once time separates from that, you can use that to really benefit you moving forward. And for me, with my father, I think about him every day. And I like to think because of that, I've become a dramatically better human being and strive to become better and better as I age. Those are things, when they're around, the thoughts don't even cross your mind. Professionally, there's a drive anytime someone tells you, I don't care who you are, I don't care what you do. You're not good enough. We don't want you here anymore. Okay, let's take inventory. Five years, ten years, we'll, we'll fucking, we'll, we'll check back in with each other. It's, it's human nature. And I think anytime a team loses, listen, I, if you win, the Eagles won all these crazy tight games. But you were watching it early in the season when they were 10-1, and one, you're like, this is crazy, right? And sometimes winning, not sometimes, when you're winning and you're not playing well, it definitely band-aids issues. It's much easier to coach a team up to, you know, yell at guys in, in whatever industry we're in when we're losing games or losing money, right? When things are going great, everyone just has a smile on their face. It's it's human nature, unless you're like Belichick or Saban, to circumvent problems when the end result is working out. And I think when you look at the Chiefs and you look at the 49ers, like they have a core group of guys who have just been through adversity, who have been through rough times football-wise. Right, It did not look pretty throughout this season for the Kansas City Chiefs. At multiple times in the playoffs, the 49ers could have waved the white flag and folded. And I think when you look at the Ravens, this that loss to the Chiefs, like I'm not, I've never been, like to me, Lamar Jackson became a dramatically better player this season than I ever thought he was. And he was obviously a very good NFL player. He won the MVP. But I'm just saying like a sustainable player. I Listen, Peyton Manning had bad playoff games. And depending on if they lose a coordinator or not, if they bring back both coordinators and the same team, like I think they're going to be pretty good. And I think that they can really benefit next year. It probably won't look as good as it does this year. That doesn't matter. No one cares what you do in the regular season once you're in a tie ball game in the second half of a playoff game. It, it's irrelevant. It does not matter. It's why, you know, how many people go to meetings and introduce themselves and the guy's talking about his accomplishments from 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Like, unless you're fucking Joe Montana or Michael Jordan, no one gives a shit. I, I don't care what you used to do in 2007. It, it does not matter. But it does help shape you and that team... It, listen, they created it because they were killing everyone, but they got into a spot where they kind of got hit in the mouth early and they didn't know how to respond. And they ultimately, as the game went on, they kind of crumbled. And the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs are kind of the opposite. Because now the games look differently, but in terms of their mentality of like, they're okay with having a rough stretch during a game. They understand getting down. Hell, the Chiefs, or the Chiefs got down multiple times to the Bills the previous week. The Niners have been down in back-to-back games with their season on the line in the playoffs. And they had some devastating losses in the middle of the season. So I think when you go through that, you're much more equipped for the playoffs. Because, like, listen, we all can attempt to pick games once the playoffs starts. 
I know for a fact it's never going to be easy. I've been watching the playoffs enough. I've seen number one seeds go down. I've seen great players lose. We've all seen it. If you've been watching the NFL for 5, 10, 20 years, you've seen it all. There is no guarantees in the playoffs. I don't care how good your record is. I don't care how good your roster is. I don't care if if your coach has won a Super Bowl before. It does not matter. It is not going to be something is going to happen. A fumble, a pick, a guy breaks his leg, something out of the ordinary. And there's a tenseness. You feel it on your couch. You definitely feel it if you're at one of these games and definitely part of one of the teams. Because the moment you're like down three with three minutes left to go in the third quarter, you start going, well, how many possessions are we going to get left? This is a big drive. It's it, it, Those thoughts don't creep into your head week seven when you're, you know, six and one. It, it can't because there's not as much on the line. And I think you saw yesterday that the Niners and the Chiefs really, really benefited. Obviously, the Niners have been through a lot of adversity the last several years with some of the big losses they've had not being able to get over the hump. Uh, and, and forever, a lot of people saying they can't come back. And they've kind of proven that wrong. Now, in the Chiefs, for the first time, they, they went from the sexy, unbeatable team to like, over the last couple of years, people... Now, I know they won the Super Bowl last year, but a lot of people last year thought like, is this team really that good? Are they really going to figure it out? And that definitely was the conversation this year. Because when you watched them during the regular season, Andy was right. That was a big wake-up call. That version of the Chiefs was not going to the Super Bowl. And the version we've seen these last couple weeks is not that version. It's the championship version. Speaking of championships, the Dan Campbell conversation is something that is just not going to slow down because everyone's going to have an opinion, and rightfully so. And I've gotten a lot of people on DMs. I've just seen a lot of the conversation of you know everyone saying that you can't celebrate aggression and push aggression And then when they get into a spot to be aggressive, then condemn it, then criticize it. And I say bullshit. And I said this to Colin, and I think I mentioned this on my podcast last night. Situations matter. They just do. What is the situation? What is the context of what you're doing? Right? In week six or week 10 or week 13, there's just not as much on the line when you have a good record. Because you're guaranteed you're going to the playoffs. You know, maybe seeding for sure is on the line. But if you lose that game, up 10, going forward, if it ends up cost you, flips field position, that team beats you, whatever. It's not the end of your season. Even before a game starts, you go, I plan on being aggressive in this game. Totally understand it and totally agree. But the moment you get a multiple score lead in the second half, I'm sorry, everything changes. This is to this game, you win it, you are in the Super Bowl. And there is just there's an hourglass on your side. It ain't full anymore. It is almost three quarters of the way gone. And the best way I can describe it, I was thinking about this, like if I gave everyone here listening just a million dollars, just a million dollars, and say, hey, you have to invest this, you can buy home. You can invest in the stock market. You can buy crypto. You can do whatever you want, but you got to invest in something. You can't just pocket it or, or buy, you know, a bunch of clothes or whatever. You, you got to invest it into some asset. I bet a lot of people listening to this, you know, might be relatively aggressive, right? Maybe you buy some cryptocurrency. Maybe you buy a couple stocks here and there. Maybe you buy some a couple, you know, some rental homes. I don't know. 
But you would you would think about it, especially if you were relatively well off financially and that money wasn't, especially if you were younger as well, wasn't going to change your life, change your, change your family's fortune. It would help out, but I'm not allowing you to pay bills or anything with it. You have to invest it. I think a decent amount of people, especially younger, would would try some aggressive things, especially if I told you you couldn't touch that money for 20 plus years. So you would think long term, you'd be aggressive. If I gave you $50 million, the context of everything dramatically changes. You might not be as aggressive with your investments if I gave you money that is astronomically higher. Why? You wouldn't want to lose that money. If you're making 500 grand a year and I give you a million dollars, if you put it all on Bitcoin and Bitcoin ended up going to zero, it's not going to change your life. Right? But if I give you $50 million, under no circumstances are you going to fuck up like 80% of it. You, you might take 40 of that $50 million immediately and put it into something safe. Like that is too much money to screw up. And the moment you get into a situation where there's a lot on the line now, there's a lot to lose. You could argue before the game there was a lot to lose because you have the chance to go to the Super Bowl. But then you're up, and you're up big. And like I told Colin, you're not have the Niners against the ropes. They're holding on outside of the ring. You have the chance to kick them right in the face. And that would have been a field goal. Like, not everything is a big fourth-and-one conversion ends the other team. Sometimes it's just a math equation. And you have to pick your spots in life. I am pro 90% of the time being aggressive. Totally for it. But there are times when you can't act really aggressive. You're going to make out with your girlfriend at church, right? You might do it at a bar, though, on Saturday night. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything. And this notion that that's what they do, I don't think there's anything dumber in life if that's what I do guy never changes his opinion. In what world would you never change your thought process on things? I loved milk and yogurt growing up. Well, as I've gotten older, find out your lactose intolerant doesn't work as well. You don't eat it anymore. You don't put it in your body. I'm all for going for it on fourth down against the Chicago Bears in a week 14 game. In a game to, you know, where I'm up seven, I'll go up 14 instead of 10. Totally get it. In an NFC Championship game, when you're on the road and you're kicking the shit out of a team and you kick the field goal, because this notion of all the percentages, a field goal at that, at that spot is still a higher percentage than a 50-50 chance when... Let's face it, he should have caught the ball. Guys drop the ball all the time. There are variables on any given play. What if your center false starts? What if your quarterback slips? What if your quarterback makes a bad read and throws a pick six? I mean, anything could happen. It's football. Everything's on the table at all moments. And this gets back to Dan Campbell against the Cowboys in the game they lost. It's like, well, he always goes for it. Totally understand going for it on that play that the ref screwed up. Now, to assume that if the ref wouldn't have screwed it up, the Cowboys wouldn't have covered a guy who was eligible, I think is an unfair assumption. But that's a topic for another day. But the moment everything gets screwed up and you get a penalty, despite being raging mad and you deserve to be, to continue to go for it at the seven-yard line 
we jumped the shark from being aggressive, which I always support, to being reckless. And being reckless like would be putting $50 million on Bitcoin. That $50 million might turn into a billion dollars, 100%. It also could turn into $7 million. And that would be considered by anyone with a brain as pretty reckless. And I thought Dan Campbell's decision was reckless because of what was on the line. And I do think what's on the line in the situation of a game really, really matter. And I think in the playoffs, you have to think twice about ways you did things in the regular season when you have a really, really big lead. Because a three-score game in that spot would have borderline ended the 49ers. They would have been in major trouble. And the Detroit Lions would now be in the Super Bowl. Here's the other thing. When situations like that happen, most fans are not reading the nerd on ESPN who is fully supporting that. If you go on Twitter, I, I would imagine a lot of the analytical community really supports it, which I understand that they are you know, absolutists when it comes to numbers. I don't live in an absolute world. I live in a fluid world by people with a lot of variables. But the average guy, when they showed that visual at the dome in which Detroit plays in, just views it like, this is insane. This is crazy. We just lost the NFC Championship game. If we just would have kicked some field goals, maybe we win the game. That's how they think. That's how the majority of people are going to think. And sometimes when you make a decision that costs you a lot, it's one thing costs a regular season game, whatever. You move on, you win the next week, everyone forgets about it. When something happens in the NFC Championship game, it's hard to shake that. It, it, it really is. And I, I just wonder, I'm a Dan Campbell fan. It's going to be fascinating to find out what happens to his coaching staff. I saw Schefter with McAfee says it's not a lock that Ben Johnson gets the Washington job, even though I've been hearing that from anyone, everyone. But maybe that's just everyone's just you know kind of groupthink. Once someone tells one person one thing, they all just kind of repeat it, and that's where it may, maybe that's true. We'll, we'll find out. I just wonder how this will age if they don't have a fantastic season next year, because the Bears, in theory, should be better, right? Caleb Williams, they they potentially upgrade at quarterback. They have the ninth pick. They could have an infusion of talent. Obviously, the Packers, in theory, will be better next year than they were this year because their quarterback has more experience under his uh, under his belt. And just in general, anytime you win a division, you play a harder schedule the following year. So it just could be more difficult for the Lions. And even Dan Campbell admitted that. Like, there's no guarantee that we're ever back in this spot. I just wonder the way a fan base ever looks at you the same. Now, if next year they come back and they win this game, speaking of adversity, and they use it and they overcome it, then no one will give a shit. But if next year they're 9-8 and eight and they miss the playoffs by a game, you just, this is where the dam kind of broke. And people kind of start, I, turning on you is the wrong thing because he's done an incredible job. He's been a badass. He, he really has. Taking that franchise, this is going to sound, I guess, shitty if you're a Detroit Lions fan. And I, I don't necessarily mean it to, but it's just the truth. One part of last night when I thought the Niners were going to lose in just, I mean, going to get blown out in the game. It's one thing to get blown out in a game. I mean, the Niners did last year. 
Well, they were playing the Eagles, and they didn't have a quarterback. To lose in the NFC Championship game to the Detroit Lions was going to be hard to shake for Kyle Shanahan. I know you guys are good, and you are. ton of players. I mean, half your roster could easily play for the Niners slash start. Like, you, you, your team is stacked. Like, it's legit. I'm a, I, I like watching it. Hell, I picked you to be really good this season. So it's not... This isn't an indictment on the actual 2023 version of your team. It's more the brand. Like the Detroit Lions are going to beat the 49ers as a massive underdog in the Bay Area. That's a fucking terrible loss. And ultimately didn't happen. And I also think it's going to be on the flip side with these Lions fans going, we could have beat the 49ers. We should have beat the 49ers. And we didn't. Because our coach went for it. When he could have just kicked a field goal. And we would have been up 17 points with 20 minutes left to go in the actual game. I was thinking about this today because uh, the Lions and Niners game did 57 million people. Which is just an astronomical number. I mean, astronomical number. I I can't even... It's hard to even sum up how big that is. It's the biggest NFL game, most watched NFL game since like 2011-12 season when the New York Giants, who have an enormous fan base, played the 49ers in that epic game of candlestick in the rain. I think it went to overtime, if memory serves me correct. And the, the Giants went on to go to the Super Bowl and beat the Patriots. And I was thinking about like, why is the NFL even going up in popularity? And in 2024... It's in sports specifically, too many things don't feel like a big deal. Like, I enjoyed the Lakers uh, Warrior game. It's the first game, it's the most of an NBA game I've watched this year for sure. I watched the entire second half and both overtimes and was glued. It was, it was a fantastic game. But the NBA never feels like that. I mean, these are two of the most famous players, the two most famous players in the NBA. Just having unreal games. It was awesome. It felt like it really mattered to both teams. That's how all football games feel. Because most football games have implications that matter. right? And that's what one thing these other sports struggle with is no baseball game throughout 162 really matters that much till the end of the season. It's like must win to get the wild card spot. But like no game in the middle of June matters at all. And people, I think, I told Colin this, and I'm a big believer in it. I think the NFL has so many women watching right now that it's a huge addition to the sport. I think they have so many women. Like, if you put the amount of women that watched those two games yesterday, they would outrate every playoff game for baseball or basketball yesterday. right? And some of those are in groups, but like, my mom does not miss a Chiefs game. She's from Davis, California, right? She just loves Andy Reid and she loves the Chiefs, right? And and I think there's a, obviously the gambling has added to it, but but I think the importance, the once a week nature of the sport has just led to, we live in a society where people like being part of big things, right? And right now football feels really, really big. And those other sports have just lost it. And yesterday, watching Patrick Mahomes or the 49ers game, like there's a communal aspect. I remember being a kid in the 90s, and I mean, you can look up some of the the epic, legendary finales 
in just television shows, right? From even the 80s when I was really, really young. I remember my dad loves Cheers. I think like 95 million people watched the last episode of Cheers. Obviously, the last episode of Seinfeld and Friends and some of these shows were just absolutely massive. There was a huge communal aspect. Well, in 2024, you're watching Apple TV. I'm watching Prime Video. You're playing video games. I'm on my phone. Everyone's, it's so segmented. It's never been more segmented. I was thinking about this because I saw on Instagram a picture of like Blockbuster and then like kids in 2024 have no clue how fire this place was at, at Friday night at seven o'clock. And it was true. Like when you would go into Blockbuster or whatever your local video store was called, the Blockbuster for me was downtown Davis. So we usually went to like Video City, but it was the same exact concept. In any time, the new big movie would show up and there would be I don't know, maybe 50 boxes of that movie and you were just praying that they all weren't rented out. And the amount of people in your community you would see, like everyone was watching these movies. And it doesn't quite feel like that anymore. Definitely in sports. You know, and football has that still. And football feels like it's gaining steam. And I've said forever, football's not going to be on top my entire life. I've seen the ebb and flow of sports. Now, I don't see these other sports ever surpassing them because I don't see it humanly possible baseball, even though they've increased the pace of play, I don't think can ever resonate with the youth who is going to be ADD maxed out, you know, with, with their ability to get bored fast. And I think basketball just has a huge, huge uphill battle, which if reports are correct that they're going to keep Adam Silver, I don't see anything changing anytime soon in terms of the interest in this country. But with football, I'm blown away by how many people care. I, I really am. And football's always been big. But the, the I, I truly believe the communal aspect is something it really has going for it right now. That these other sports just feel like they do not. Everyone wants to be a part of these big games. And like Colin said yesterday, and he's right, like Sunday's a huge benefit. Like most people aren't doing much on Sunday. And it's just an easy sport to consume. You don't have to watch it every night. I, I have a lot of respect for people that like legitimately covered the NBA definitely baseball like I wouldn't even want to watch like Tuesday like I don't want to fucking watch this game and I'm sure those guys sometimes don't want to watch those games either but they don't have a choice because you're basically playing three or four nights a week in baseball sometimes you're playing five or six and in football it's it's actually the easiest sport to do this for a living because only one game I I really got to stay locked in Thursday night Sunday during the day and then Monday night it's it's not that complicated And uh, I think most of America agrees. The other thing is that Greg Olson, who, I was thinking about this. This is no shot at Tony Romo. He's not necessarily my cup of tea in terms of a television personality. A little too cheesy. I I think, he's fine. He's fine. I think Greg Olson's dramatically better. I, I really do. And I would put Greg Olson immediately in like the Collinsworth, Aikman. I would say John Madden's the greatest of all time. But just... He's really, really good. And reports are that Tom Brady is going to accept this job. I have no clue how Tom's going to be. Because if you watch Tom in the right situation, where the cameras are on him, but he's not actually on camera, and he's just like bullshitting in a joint practice with Mike Vrabel, you're like, that's the Tom I want. But then you watch clips from his podcast, you're like, that's a little corporate Tom. And I think part of being good as a broadcaster, the media thinks... That you know, we educate the fans. Fans are watching this to relax. I want to be entertained. 
It's why John Madden was so popular. Obviously, quote-unquote, educates. But I, I, I want to be like, smile on my face and enjoy the game. This goes back to the Lakers and Warriors. They fired Doc, or excuse me, Van Gundy last year because he was too crabby and often talked shit about the officials. You know one thing I liked about Van Gundy? A little bit of a wild card. Would say some crazy shit. I watched Doris Brooke. Nice lady, met her. I used to have her on the radio show. She knows basketball. She's kind of boring. Like, ultimately, these games are a television show, a.k.a. entertainment. And there's a level, like, Olsen's, like, pretty serious, but he's an easy listen. Him and Burkhart are really good. Tom, like, Tom is really famous and obviously has a good personality if he just, or at least did back in the day when he was just hanging out, drinking beers with the guys or in the locker room. But that's not always the Tom we get. It's what makes Peyton such a special personality is he can kind of turn on the charm. He's kind of got this politician where it's just he kind of has a little pizzazz to him. And, you know, Tom does, but I do think it's difficult when the camera's on now because he's just been hardwired to be this kind of robotic guy. Now, can he loosen up? Can he be good at it? Drew Brees I knew couldn't. Tom, I don't know. But I understand Fox paying him a lot of money. It sucks for Greg Olson. From being the number one guy, he makes $10 million. To be the number two guy at Fox, he makes $3 million. Do you know what really sucks about that if you're Greg Olson? You're like, well, I've just been doing it, and you see how good I am. Now, part of it is he's on a he's on a product that's doing so many people watching, it's easy to justify paying the guy that much. You put him on the second game, there's just way less people watching, given it's not you know in the primetime window. But if you're him, you're like, you're going to do the same preparation. You're going to put the same effort in. You're going to be just as good. And you're going to make 70% less. <laughs> that, that would hurt. When with the Eagles. On paper, their coaching staff hires were really good. And I knew they would be. Howie is really, really good at helping his coach out, identify good coaches. It's something that that organization takes a lot of pride in. Uh finding the best assistants and future coordinators and coordinators who are available and when they have needs, hiring them. They Jeffrey Lurie will pay a lot of money to pay coaches. right? It's why they get so mad when the assistant coaches that a coach goes to bat for are not doing well. Because it's like, guys, I'll give you the money. One of the reasons the Warriors back in the day fired Mark Jackson, because they would beg him to hire these top assistants. They'd be like, oh, we'll cut the checks. And Mark Jackson just wouldn't. He just would hire his buddies. And Steve Kerr's the opposite, right? He'll just hire the best guys. And one thing with the Eagles is they've never hesitated. And that's why once they start struggling, you know the coordinators are in trouble, especially when they're kind of quote-unquote, I don't want to say no names, but guys that aren't have a long resume of success. So hiring Vic Fangio, even though that situation is a little bizarre to me, no-brainer. Every team in the league would want a Vic Fangio if they're willing to run the scheme. I think Kellen Moore, who's a guy who was an offensive coordinator for years with Dak Prescott. Pre-Dak Prescott injury, Dak was much more mobile and makes a ton of sense. Like Kellen Moore's success with Dallas, the Eagles saw it up close and personal for years in the division. Totally get it. Even Clint Hurt, the defensive line coach, for Fangio, who had been the defensive coordinator for a couple years for Pete Carroll. Like, those three guys have a lot of value in the NFL. Obviously Fangio, but even Kellen Moore. But putting a coaching staff together is a little bit like putting a team together. Like, the way something looks on paper, like, this isn't baseball. 
You can't just, well, this guy, plug him in at third base, plug this guy in left field, this guy can hit, this guy's a righty, and it just doesn't really matter. Like You either can play the position and hit, or you can't. In, in football, the cohesion as on the field and on the coaching staff really, really matters. What do we talk about? I guess, I don't know if you listen, but me and Colin with the Chiefs. One thing they really, him and Andy Spags have been working together for 25 years. Matt Nagy and Andy have been together for a long, long time. Dave Tobe, the special teams coach, has been there the entire time. So the cohesion, you know what the other guy's thinking, they know what you're thinking, and everyone is on the same page. It's just very, very difficult. So I'm not criticizing these hires. These are the type, like, you got to do it. But just because you hire a really good staff doesn't mean that it's just going to work seamlessly, right? Part of the reason Shane Steichen and Sirianni worked really, really well, they have known each other for a while. They worked together with the Chargers. One thing I wonder with this is like, Kellen Moore's a little bit of a wild card here. Like ultimately, what's Sirianni going to tell Vic Fangio? So he, he was, if you're going to be the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, you're going to get to run the show. But when it comes to offense, listen, Sirianni can say he's going to be the head coach because that's what he is, but let the coordinator do his thing. If their offense starts to look a lot better next year, he's going to get no credit. And there's a human element of this, like your ego going to take a hit? How are you going to handle it? Are they going to work well together? Uh, just fascinating. It, it, it really is. And there's going to be a ton of pressure on this team because how much they're paying the quarterback, how just aggressive this franchise is. And like I said, I'm t- I totally understand. And I, I applaud these hires. But just because you hire sweet names on paper doesn't mean that it's just going to be seamless and work. The other thing is there can always be resentment when, when if something starts going well and the guy starts getting a lot of credit. Just something to keep an eye on. It, it, it really is. So Kellen Moore and Sirianni, how they come together and work together is going to be something, uh, obviously, in Philadelphia. But I think an NFL story that we're going to monitor very, very closely. Okay, let's bang out a little thing we call the mailbag. You guys know the drill. Easy to get in. At John Middlecoff. At John Middlecoff is the Instagram. DM's wide open. Fire on in. Start with Jared. Looks like a young young buck here in college. Happy Monday. Been hearing a lot of talk about how Mahomes has the best quarterbacking start to a career. I think he could 100% become the best ever. Over the next 5 to 10 years, how many more titles could this guy win? even eventually without Kelsey and Reed. Have a great rest of the week. Jared's a friendly fella. I would say if he wins this, right? So he wins in two weeks, he's got three. It does seem difficult to get three more, right? Like what Brady did, Brady did it over 20 years. His first one was 01. His last one was 2021. So you're talking about a huge gap. So to think that in 10 years, so basically from 2000, you know, Mahomes won his first one in February of 2020, 10 years from now would be, thir- like, that's a lot of Super Bowls. I I would say if he wins four total, that's a remarkable accomplishment. Like, rem- just stunning. Because it's going to be hard to win against the Niners, right? So let's say he loses, and he's been to four, and he's won two. Is he going to get to three more? That's what makes it difficult. It's just hard to get to the game. (laughs) It really is. 49er fan ever since the drive. 
I'm not typically on social media, but I've been following Colin since the mid-2000s. Actually met him twice, and I've enjoyed your content for a year now. Love the takes you give inside the NFL operation. I literally installed Instagram just to get this message out because I believe so much in it. I was thinking this thought during the 49ers game, but I obviously hammered. I was obviously hammered. (laughs) The more I look at it with sober eyes, I think number 32 Brian Branch was trying to injure Brock on the long fourth, third and fourth scramble. Watch it all the way. He slowed down, timed his steps, and then tried to step on Brock's knees, even raking his foot backwards. Not a normal body motion. Is there any way we can get this to the league office? The attached clip is from David Lombardi. There's a buddy of mine. Okay, I'm watching this clip now. Here goes running. There's Purdy. I don't know. I, here's what I would say. Anything, and this is why the NFL and sports implementing slow motion on replays, that, that's not the way. I, these guys are moving so fast. I, I, I'm going to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Do I think that he slowed down and tried to rake his knee on the guy's knee? Maybe he wanted to step on him so he'd feel a little pain. Like, this is football, not patty cake. Now, you can say, like, that's crossing the line. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the great teams, some of the great players are line crossers. Uh, I'm, I'm not defending it, but I I think, you know, we love to eat the hot dog, and I had one the other day at Costco, but we don't want to go to the hot dog manufacturing plant and see them all made. And, like, we love football, but we always get up in arms with, that's such a dirty hit. Yeah, it's kind of a dirty game. This guy's running full speed at each other. And literally, not trying to, like, send you to the hospital, but I'm trying to knock you out of games. As a defensive player. Now, is that if he truly was like trying to step on his knee, twist it? Like, yeah, it's fucked up. Do I believe he was doing that? I don't know. I mean, I I don't get too caught up in that. Besides like super, super egregious. Um, again, I, I thought Hazy, the dude from the Steelers who got kicked out the final three games of the season or whatever, when he destroyed Michael Pittman, I didn't blame the defensive player for that. I blamed the quarterback through a hospital ball. But if you went on like social media, it's like, kick him out. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, the pass from Gardner Minshew was. In the history of me watching football, that gets guys' neck broken. But now it's like all of the defenders' fault. So, yeah, that was a terrible pass. But I appreciate the question. If you had the choice between Lamar, Burrow, or Allen for the next five years, or whatever you see as the foreseeable future, who would you choose? I don't even hesitate. I would take Josh Allen. I don't even have to think twice. I would go Josh Allen... Here's the problem with Burrow is like the the availability now is a little in question. I, I know Lamar, Lamar's been dinged up a little bit. I, we could argue those two. Uh, now, Burrow, obviously, he beat the Chiefs a couple years ago, but Josh Allen, with, without hesitation. To me, Josh Allen's the second best player in the NFL quarterback. Mahomes is in his own little world, and then I would have Josh Allen, too. I'd argue with anyone until we're blue in the face. But again, here would be my argument. Get Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo on the phone. Ask them who keeps them up at night the most. Of all the players in the NFL, at quarterback, who are they? Who do they fear the most? I'll guarantee it's Josh Allen. I know that for a fact, actually. I was at a bachelor party in Colorado, and I proposed a hypothetical. If a team that is loaded and ready to win now, such as the Niners, needed a quarterback to win the Super Bowl next year, would they rather have Herbert or Stroud? 
Everyone said Stroud except me. The answer has to be Herbert, right? As a side note, I went to Oregon. Most of the other guys either went to Ohio State or have Ohio ties. <laughs> either their Ohio bias was clouding their thoughts or something else commonly purchased in Colorado was. Would love to hear your thoughts. You know, these hypotheticals are great. It's like, well, if, if you know, the Lakers, if they could add Curry and like somehow get, you know, uh, Embiid, this is impossible. Now, don't get me wrong. These are conversations. A huge reason sports are so big. But it's like <laughs> these two quarterbacks, the, the the only thing they have access to is Brock Purdy. I would imagine if you asked me who is graded the highest in their in their system, one thing with the Niners, like running their system, is not as much about some of the things Herbert possesses. Like Herbert in a vacuum is a more physically gifted guy than Stroud, but Stroud just showed for a year that he can excel in this offense. So to me, if you just gave Kyle, and if you factored in the money, like Herbert is on an enormous contract, Stroud's on a rookie contract. So would if we were just doing a draft from scratch, we didn't have any team, we didn't have any other players on the team, would I take Herbert or Stroud? I think a lot of people in the NFL would still take Herbert. But I think for the 49ers, because they just saw the kid run the offense with Bobby Slowick, who was like one of Kyle's guys, I mean, I you could convince me. Do you agree that Spags doesn't get the credit he deserves for being one of the all-time great coordinators? I know that overlooking a guy who has won three Super Bowls as a defensive coordinator across two franchises is hard to do. But I think the performance of Kansas City's defense on Sunday illuminated his greatness. I told Coward that if you factor in, like the best coordinators in the league right now are head coaches, right? Shanahan, Andy, McVay, uh, D'Amico, like their their value is really, really high because they coordinate the side of the ball and they're the head coach on good teams. But if you want a guy who's not the head coach and he calls the side of the ball and his head coach is on the other side of the ball, you could argue Spags is the best deal in the NFL. There might not be a close second. Because think about like Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald, who are obviously fucking studs. I mean, that game plan Ben Johnson had together, I I thought Steve Wilkes might get relieved of his duties at halftime. And Mike McDonald, I I don't think the Chiefs, how many first downs do they have in the second half? Like Those guys are big time. But they're going to become head coaches. One guy's 39, the other guy's 36, 37 whether it's this year or next year, like those guys are going to become a head coach. No one's ever going to hire Steve Spagnuolo. It's never going to happen. No one's doing it. Maybe it's his age. Maybe it's the last time he had a shot. It was really bad. You could give me eight variables, and they probably all are valid part of the equation, but no one is ever hiring him. So his value as a defensive coordinator is, I don't know, it's immense to Andy. Think of the success they've had with him. And no one's going to, no one even interviews the guy. So Dave Tobe too. Like Andy has two coaches because they're older. If either guy was 43 years old, I think they'd interview five different places and Andy would lose them. Like he used to in Philadelphia. He used to lose these guys. He literally lost Spags once upon a time. Who I think was a position coach. The Giants hired to be the defensive coordinator. They beat the Patriots and then he becomes a head coach. I've been following the 49ers since 2016. I have a question regarding the Niners-Raiders rivalry. Was this ever a rivalry? The answer is no. 
It seems to me that especially Raiders are trying to keep this rivalry alive. They haven't won anything the last decade. The last time they beat the 49ers, they still had Oakland in their name, and they aren't in the same conference. The elephant in the room here is there is there's a complex in the Bay Area when you're from Oakland relative to San Francisco. And while the 49ers now play in essentially Palo Alto, Santa Clara, there's a jealousy because the Giants and the 49ers own that market. They make dramatically more money. And when they're both good, one dramatically outrates the other. Obviously, the A's are moving to Vegas and the, the Raiders who had to move to Vegas five or six years ago. A big reason for that is because they weren't going to be able to function. They, they were never going to be an equal. Right? And, and it's not like, obviously, Mets and Yankees have that, but the Mets are still massive. Right? I, I think the Clippers are a good example, but the, the, the outweigh by fans is 500 to 1, Laker to Clipper fan or whatever. The Niners greatly outweigh the Raiders in terms of fans in the Bay Area. I'd say it's it's probably out of 10 people. It's, I mean, Raider fans are going to get mad at this, but it's closer to 9 to 1 than it is 6 to 4. And I, I just think there's a jealousy. And it, it comes, you know, it's the socioeconomics of it. It's the prestige of the names. There's just an element that's, I mean, think about this. Oakland has lost all three teams in a five-year span. Think about that. The Raiders went to Vegas. The Oakland A's are going to Vegas too. And Joe Lacob bought the team basically because he knew he was going to immediately move them across the bridge to San Francisco. So there's like, uh, you know, the redheaded stepchild, little brother complex of we're never going to be good enough complex. And then, I mean, in and out one of the most successful businesses on the West Coast literally just packed up shop. There's like this chip on the shoulder. We're not good enough. And there's economic aspects to it as well, but it just gets down to the the Niners are infinitely more popular. So th- there's a rivalry from like a jealousy standpoint from the Raiders, but most 49er fans don't care about the Raiders. They really don't. If they're good, great. It's like cool for you guys. If they're bad, they don't notice. There is, this has to hurt Mark Davis in a weird way who's financially having a lot of success moving the team. But the Kansas City Chiefs are practicing at the Raiders facility. I mean, this is, it's not really a rivalry. I know the Raiders beat them this year, but like it's, it hasn't been a rivalry since Andy's been there. And the 49ers, who they have so much jealousy and envy toward, are playing them in that stadium. My guy, Josh Dubow, who is a sports guy for the the AP news. He put out on Twitter that if Andy and Mahomes win in two weeks, that they will have the most wins of any coach quarterback in Allegiant Stadium. That includes Raiders coaches and quarterbacks. So this this is going to be tough for Raiders fans this Super Bowl. It's gonna, it's going to hurt deep. So yeah, absolutely no rivalry. I think you can have a natural like geographical rivalry of like where people at school, if one kid's a Raider fan, you know, you talk a little shit, but I think that would naturally happen if I'm a, you know, if I'm a Cowboy fan and you're a Niner fan, it's just nature, like a legit rivalry, like the Cowboys and Eagles are rivals. You know, I mean, the, the, 
the Steelers and Ravens are rivals. Ohio State and Michigan are rivals. The, the 49ers and Raiders simply are not. If you were to bet on six sneaky good teams this upcoming year, thinking wildcard teams, 04 or 24-25 season, and six teams that miss the playoffs, who would you choose and what? You're way ahead of me. I, I haven't. I'm just trying to get to the draft. So I I can't. That's 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 a good question, but it's probably more for like June or July. This is probably a better one. I'm a Seahawks fan, but seeing the Rams this season and Arizona's feistiness and your team, of course, what do you think Seattle should do with their team? Draft coaching players. Like you, I like Vrabel and then McDonald and the OC Ben Johnson. I've been thinking about starting a YouTube channel, but I think people won't listen to me or care my opinion. If I got big enough, like where you are at right now, would you be willing to buy a percentage of the channel brand? This guy's a big picture thinker. Raphael, I like where your mind's at, but you're you're way ahead of me. My recommendation would just just start a start a uh, start a channel. If you get big enough, people are going to want to buy in. I would say on the Seattle situation is it does feel like they're not going to hire Dan Quinn. I don't know why I feel like that. Schefter kind of alluded to everyone thinks Dan Quinn and Ben Johnson are going to Washington, Seattle. He's like, I would bet against at minimum one of those not happening. So to me, and I saw the Seattle Times, Bob Condotta who I follow on social media, put out, you know, there have been a lot of smoke about Mike McDonald. Maybe they're still going after Ben Johnson. I I wonder if Seattle's kind of lurking and they're not going to hire Dan Quinn. So I I would expect them to be one of the Ravens guys or Ben Johnson, assuming Ben Johnson doesn't go to Washington, which I I thought was going to happen, but now it doesn't feel like it's likely. I I don't know what's everyone else hiring coaches. Like, come on guys, let's, let's, let's make it higher. Starting this off by saying Dan Campbell deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with the Lions. Totally agree. But being aggressive and going for it all the time, who does that sound like? Brandon Staley. Everybody loved Staley in the beginning because he was uber-aggressive on fourth. As time went on, it became more and more of a problem. As much as I don't want comparison to be true, what do you say? Well, I think one thing Dan Campbell has going for him is there's a genuine nature to the guy. If you watch his post-game press conference, it's not, you almost like want to shed a tear. You almost he, he really resonates when he talks. There's to me, Brandon Staley always gave off this Gavin Newsom fraud vibe. It's like, bro, nobody trusts what you, when you talk. You just feel like such a phony. And there's a genuine nature of Dan Campbell. And we all know like authentic people, and, and that's his vibe. So when he after the game said, like, listen. You know, we might never get back here. Like, he just feels like a real human being. I, I, I do think that it's an organization philosophy. Like, I'm not saying he's against it, but he's all bought in on it. I, I do think there has to be some middle ground. Now, you never want to go back all the other way, like Rivera ended up doing. Rivera used to be really aggressive, and now he's not as aggressive. Obviously, he's not even coaching anymore, but you know what I mean. There's just a balance, <laughs> you know? I, I think it's just that simple everything in life like you're allowed to have you know a couple mcdonald's cheeseburgers would you have them every day twice a day probably not you know and this notion i i I can't get over this is what we do all the time who talks like that no one in business talks like that no human being would talk like that i'm wearing sandals right now it's 75 degrees out if i was in minnesota and it was 10 degrees probably wouldn't want to have sandals on Probably want to put pants and shoes on Like situations dictate what you do and when you do it. You can't just have an organizational philosophy 
This is what we do no matter what 100% of the time. I don't think any human being, any successful company, any successful team has ever thought like that. Peyton Manning loved to throw, but if you don't have enough guys in the box, he'll check into a run and he'll run for seven yards, right? I mean, it's just, I, I think the best example is the best dynasty of my life, any sport, was the Patriots because of the time in which they did it over and the, the amount of different iterations of the group. And the number one thing Belichick and the Patriots hung their hat on was just, we'll do whatever it takes. You have the number one passing defense and an awful rushing defense. We'll have 37 rush attempts this game. You're kind of balanced. We'll have to see what's working. And then as the game goes on, we'll commit to that. You struggle against pressure over the right tackle. That's where we're going to bring the heat from this game. I'll just do whatever it takes, right? I'm playing Peyton Manning and he's scoring. We got to be aggressive on fourth down, right? Because we can't stop him on defense. We're playing a team that we're up by two scores in the second half. Probably want to be a little more conservative, right? Play off them. Don't give up a big play. Kick the field goal. Go up three scores. Everything in life is situational. Even if you have a philosophical belief, I, I lean aggressive. I lean very aggressive in my life, in everything I do. But I'm not that way 24-7, 365. Like, there is a time and a place to like, okay, this is a situation or this is a meeting or this is this is a week or financially maybe I'm in a pinch. Like, okay, I'll just let's take a deep breath. Let's take a step back. And the other 90% of the time, doubling down, being aggressive, going after it. I, I just... This notion that, like, this is what we do. I think it's so stupid. Anyways, this game, Lamar outgained Mahomes through the air and made several big-time throws no one is talking about. The TD pass, the huge completion to Zay with the taunt afterwards. He also doubled up all the Ravens' rushing totals combined. The interception was clearly bad, but at that point, I felt like it was bound to happen. Todd Munkin has been spamming panic passes since the first snap with only eight handoffs to running backs and one design run for Lamar. You could call battle plays just using the Ass Madden feature from the video game. I feel like a lot, I feel like at least 90% of the failures fall squarely on him and Harbaugh and should, should be held against Lamar. I don't even think they gave him a chance from the kickoff. Is that fair? I don't, like, I don't view Lamar, I view Lamar that game as similar to some of like the Peyton Manning failures. It sucks, and it's a kick in the dick, but it's not like going to define his career. His coaching staff was bad. And I, I think clearly we talk so much, and I said this the other night on the podcast, that we spend so much time in other sports, specifically basketball, about guys choking. And I totally understand it because you can sit there and watch a guy like this. This isn't some scheme like this guy is just kind of shit in the bed. In football, the coach does dictate a lot. And obviously an offensive coordinator is calling the plays. I can't fathom watching the game the previous week with Josh Allen constantly getting to the edges and not consistently doing that with Lamar. And what happened kind of early in the game? They ran that like quarterback power and Lamar guy that I had Lamar over 70 yards rushing. He actually had the angle to keep going another like 10, 15 yards. And he kind of like tried to juke and just kind of fell. But like that play worked. Like, why don't you rush 
listen, I think big picture to become some all-time great Super Bowl champion, there, there's a balance of running and passing. But in a one-game situation, when you have an elite skill and that team on the other side is proven to kind of struggle against that skill, running the quarterback, why don't you run the quarterback? It was like he was dropping him back like he was trying to prove, like, see, I, I've coached him up to be like John Elway. What are we trying to prove? We're just trying to beat the Chiefs. So, yeah, I'm in agreement. Not running Lamar was one of the worst game plans I've ever seen. And this is someone who just watches football. This is someone that had a lot of money on the Ravens. Part of the reason I bet on the Ravens was like, I just think that the Chiefs scored 17 points. I think the element of Mahomes to Lamar, though, was like, Mahomes was never making that pick. That was not, it doesn't happen for him in the playoffs whether he's up or down in the game. So this notion that it was always going to come, it can't come. In a game that's going to be decided by 15, 17, 19 points, you cannot throw that interception. Like, I'm sorry, a red zone pick in a playoff game that's tight against a championship operation is beyond devastating. So it's, it's inexcusable. Even if it's a b- bad play call, the guy runs the wrong route, whatever the excuse, you cannot throw it into three people. I literally listen and watch every video. My question to you is, why is age an issue for NFL draft? Penix is 24 years old, and everybody is making a big deal about it like he's Chris Ranky was 28 years old when he was drafted. Brandon Whedon was also a player that got drafted, and he was old. Hope to hear from you soon. I think because you look at it like, if I hit on this guy, can I have him for 15 years? And if I get a guy that's 20, in 15 years, he's 35, like in the prime of his career, like Matt Stafford. You know, If I draft this guy in 10 years, he's already that age. So I, I think part of it's projecting big picture. I also think it's just not lazy. I just think it's kind of a natural talking point. Like, this guy's old, right? This, this guy's going to be 25 his rookie year, which isn't nothing. I think Lamar just turned 26. Juju Smith-Schuster has been in the league like seven years. He's like 27 years old. So it does mean something, right? Athletically, you're kind of in your prime. Uh, It's probably a bigger deal to other positions. At quarterback, especially if you're not a huge runner, is it as big a deal? I, I do think there's some validity to it. I also think it speaks to you have a huge advantage at 24 years old from a maturity standpoint playing against people that are 19 years old. So if you're playing, and I'm just going to, I could be wrong on this, but Penix is playing against, and I like Penix, but he's playing against Oregon. Let's say the average age on the Oregon defense, I, this could be wrong. I just, let's just use this for example, is 20 years old, right? And half of them have been a starter for less than 15 games. Well, this guy's got six years starting experience. It's like a huge advantage for him. So is it, is it apples to apples? Now, sometimes 24-year-olds, Draymond Green was old when he was drafted. It's very big in the NBA. And sometimes guys, you know, that are older go on to have great careers. Shane Battier. You know, it's 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 all dependent on the individual. So I, I think it's less probably about age and how you feel about the player. I'm from Chicago, and there is a Justin Fields Colt that believes we should stay with him. I saw the Bears tweeted out a video that said quarterback one, Justin Fields. I guess there's two ways to look at it. One, just supporting the guy that, you know, laid on the line for their team. Two, playing mind games with the rest of the league. 
And three, maybe the social media guys is bored. I, I don't know. It, it was. I don't think it's necessary. Whether you, unless you're keeping them, then totally understand it. But if you are still going to trade them, I, I think it's pretty overblown. Like they're just showing the league. They're cool with keeping them. Like I, I, I think most of the league understands where you like where you're going to end up in this situation. So putting out some minute highlight package on X and Instagram. I don't think it's changing like the Atlanta Falcons from giving you a call or the New England Patriots or whoever is interested in Justin Fields. Uh, was last night's game Chiefs versus Ravens proof of what you get with Caleb versus Lamar? Speaking only on the two quarterback ceilings, Caleb draws Mahomes comparisons and Justin Fields compares to Lamar. Yeah, I mean, I, Fields is so far away from being Lamar Jackson, it's fucking stupid. And comparing a guy in college that just went seven and five and was kind of all over the map to one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks we've ever seen, I think has kind of jumped the shark. And I'm not blaming you. Everyone compares him to Mahomes. That's insane. It's like anytime a guy shoots threes and it's kind of short now, they're like, it could be the next Steph Curry. Yeah, probably not. I I would doubt it. Is, Is this guy next Tiger Woods? No chance. But it's it's the easy thing to do. Because it's fun to say. And if you're right, you look like a genius. The chances Fields is never sniffing Lamar. Lamar Jackson won the MVP in his second year. The chances that Caleb Williams is, wins a playoff game in his first three years is probably slim to none. Mahomes has 14 playoff victories. The other thing is Caleb's about to go to Eberflus. Mahomes went to Andy. So I, I think it's more you just, Fields isn't good enough. So you just hopefully that Caleb can become a top 10 quarterback. I think sometimes we get too aggressive, right? And I I think this is works in life too. Sometimes like I'm all for goals and having big visions. I'm I'm a big dreamer in general, but sometimes you got to be really realistic, right? Before you think about fucking getting your fourth house and your private jet, like let's work on dreaming about your, you know, your first second home, Right. Right. Let's just, if you, you know, it's like, I want to be worth a billion dollars. Well, how about you get to like 5 million first and, and dream of that and then go on from there? And I, I think there's some natural of like Justin Fields. Last year, people were like, could he be the MVP? It's like, are we sure he's going to start all season long? <laughs> you know, Caleb Williams, can he be Patrick Mahomes? Can Caleb just throw 25 NFL touchdowns first? <laughs> can he beat some good teams before we, uh, Anoint them as the greatest thing since sliced bread. I'm guilty of this too. Like I'm not acting like people are alone. Love the pod. But I do have pushback on the criticism. Lions were 17 of 22 on fourth and three or shorter this season. Badgley is 9 of 20 on 48 yards in his career. Worst among, amongst qualified guys in NFL history. Numbers even worse when you factor in the outdoors. For me, it comes down to, do you trust a top five offense to get two yards or a bottom five kicker to make a 45-plus yarder? If Justin Tucker is the Lions kicker, I totally get it. So Badgley is 9 of 20 on 48 yarders in his career, and you guys were 77%. Listen, those numbers, listen, they make a lot of sense. I would just say this. I do think you got to factor in the variables here. And he, do you trust him to make a kick in that spot? 
you feel good about him in warmups. If you told me we had no faith in him, then I would totally get it. But they had run him out before. Now, I know it was a much shorter kick, but they ran him out at the end of the half. I listened to Lombardi's pod today, and he thought that Dan Campbell really regretted not going for it at the end of the first half when he ended up kicking the field goal instead of like trying to make it 28-7. to Obviously, if they didn't get it, he would have just been 21-7 at half and kicked the field goal to make it 24-7. I just think anytime, no points are guaranteed, right? Nothing in the NFL is guaranteed. Anything can happen on a play on fourth and two, just like anything can happen on a kick. I do think, and, and I'm not a huge believer in like the optics of things make it harder to criticize, but if you kick the field goal, I don't think anyone thinks twice. I also don't think anyone would view Dan Campbell as some puss bag who always goes for it and then you know his sphincter got tight in a big game because he kicked the field or he, he attempted a field goal in that situation. I think it's completely understandable given the score. To me, it's the score. So either you think, if you don't think that he can make the field goal from any distance, I mean, what's the point of even having him on the active roster? Might as well just go forward on every play. And Dan Campbell has shown that he kind of would. So I, I don't know, man. I There is no guarantee that he would have hit the field goal. Just like there was no guarantee that you get the fourth and two and he didn't. He dropped it. And that play changed the game. It just did. Does it change the game if they attempt a field goal and he doinks it off the left upright? Honestly, it doesn't feel like it would have the same momentum. I feel like this, to my core, that the momentum that the 49ers got and the belief that they got on the sideline, and they even all these guys said it last George Kittle said it last night. George Kittle said last night that McAfee told him he didn't even know this. How, how would he? Did did a couple weeks ago, do you understand that the analytical community does not believe in momentum? They don't believe it exists. Which, like, these aren't just robots slash widgets playing the game. These are human beings. So, I will agree with this. I don't agree with the decision. There is no guarantee any of it was going to work. Or not work. You have no clue. It's part of football. It's part of sports. It's part of life. Fuck, I, I, I could buy an NFL team tomorrow and something dramatically happen with television rights and the next television deal is a disaster. There's, there's nothing is guaranteed in life besides death and taxes. But I, I think given the score, having the mindset of... There's a difference of like conservative trying to preserve something and setting yourself up to win the game. Like I, I don't want to say the game's over at 17 points, but it would have felt pretty over. Peter here, new to the pod since 23. Can't get enough. Keep up the good work. Do you know the process of how the NFL assigns referees to playoff games? Concerning the Chiefs, the head ref for this matchup, Sean Smith, historically leans in favor of away teams. Having these stats in hand, I would think the NFL would assign refs in playoff games that historically call games penalties closer to 50-50 for both teams. I'm assuming it's 10-year and experience, but should referees' records be taken into account? You know what's funny? And I, I mean this with all sincerity. I don't spend that much time. These are good. I get a lot of good referee questions about full-time referees, stuff like this. I, I just don't think about referees that often. I, I, I really don't. Maybe it's my lack of respect for them. Maybe it's my just indifference toward them. 
Obviously, they have had moments where they have clearly impacted wins and losses. Luckily, I, I would, I think we all can agree that was not the case in the games yesterday. Not saying they were perfect, but the the, the the Niners and the Chiefs did not win because of the referees. But I just don't spend that much time like breaking down their numbers. I, I know it was a story last week about the dude in the Chiefs game, but uh, I would guess they take it into account. But maybe if you got Belichick on the phone, he'd tell you these fucking idiots in Park City in the league office don't know they're, you know, how to walk and chew gum at the same time. So maybe they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So I, I would say, yeah, in theory, you would factor everything in, but I, I think there is a 50-50 chance that no, it's just kind of kind of random. Whoever is in the good graces at the time, whoever they like. Uh and I think that's a you know, pretty consistent theme with most businesses guys that the decision maker likes are the reason that you get jobs and lose jobs. Hell, I lost my radio job because the Raiders wanted me out and they were the main partner with the radio station. I know a lot of people in radio that in sports radio that have their stations have relationships with teams. Well, the moment you piss them off, they come for you. It's kind of the way it works. So if you told me that this guy was in really close with Troy Vincent or one of Rogers, you know, right-hand man, maybe Roger, I'd believe you. How do a lot of guys in the NFL get hired? They get in tight with the owner. Maybe it's just that simple. Maybe we overthink it and try to make all these excuses and why they did it. Maybe it's just they hire who they like. Happens a lot with coaching staffs. Just hire their buddies. Appreciate everyone listening. See you later. The Volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.